This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is a stage show from our Discord OnlyFans from June 21st, 2023. The discussion kicks off with talk about Randy Charlton, who's a backup defensive end for the Miami Dolphins. We're going to catch it in progress. Simon Clancy, Alfredo Arteaga, and other members of OnlyFans will be on there. If you want to join OnlyFans, it's $3 a month. You can check the pinned tweet on the 3 Yards Per Carry Twitter account or check the description of this audio recording. That in pre-draft is somebody that the, the Dolphins had liked. I think they brought him in on a 30 visit as well. Clearly, they saw something on tape. He's big framed. Um, and I think there's probably a, a, an opportunity for him to gain some weight and whether or not they feel like he can, you know, play as an, uh, uh, an interior defensive lineman um, remains to be seen. But, you know, a guy that can come in and shock with his hands and create space, not just for himself, but for others, is a valuable guy to put in the rotation. And, and like I said, it's somebody that they've had an eye on for a while, somebody that they like. And, um, you know, there are, there are spaces to be had, especially on that interior of that defensive line. And, you know, he's one of those guys that could be in the mix. I don't know if you saw Vic Fangio's uh, availability. Uh, first of all, you know, he's as advertised, uh, kind of a curmudgeon. <laughs> I'm going to have a lot of fun with him th- uh, this summer. I don't know if you're going to come down to interview him or if you're going to see him on the road anywhere, but uh, he looks like a tough nut to crack. Okay, let's just say that. Uh, he he wasn't having any of our media but he said something very curious, and I, I was I was completely dumbfounded. He said that there's areas on the defense where they have to actually still go find some talent. What is he referring to? Because I don't get it. Like, uh, I, I, what I else does he, he want? Mean, I, well, I think he probably means linebacker, actually. You know, okay. you look at the situation at linebacker, you know, David Long wasn't able to work out because of the injury, which will obviously clear up by training camp, but, you know, as good a player as he is, and I'm a huge fan, there are going to be some some teething issues with David in terms of, you know, overcoming the injury bug. Uh, Jerome is, is a solid, if unspectacular, player. Duke Riley is a great teammate. Is a you know is a um, good, a, sp- a really good special teams player and a guy that you can you, you rely on not to fuck things up for want of a better term, in terms of when he's on the field. But the biggest question mark is around Channing Tindall. And really my takeaway was that that, that Tindall really hadn't impressed. Uh, I know Vic Fangio, and we talked about this before, I know Fangio talked about saying that he wasn't going to watch tape. I just don't believe that. I don't believe that you would come to a team and not watch tape of the players, especially when you've got a, a cache of young players like Holland, like Kohu, like Phillips, uh, you know, like Tyndall, you're going to want to have a look at this kid because, you know, he ticks a lot of boxes in terms of what you like, but his lack of instincts. And it just feels like the the rawness and the athletic, the athletic ability isn't translating to, to what's really important, especially from a Vic Fangio linebacker, the mental acumen, those sorts of things. And, you know, he triggers and he can, you know, he can get downhill and, and do all those sorts of things, you know, runs the 4-4, but actually, there's got to be some sort of mental acuity to, to what he does. And I don't know this as fact, but I, I do know that 
there are some teething issues with Tyndall and, and and certainly some people inside the building that wonder whether or not he's actually going to get it. But I, th- I do think he was talking about linebacker because really, you know, you look around the the position groups. Um, you know, it's solid, really good defensive end. You know, it's light a defensive tackle, but there's three very good players. Corners are strong. I know there's some guys coming back of injury, and I saw Nick Needham in a walking boot, and um, and Trill obviously coming off the injury, and uh, but you know Howard Ramsey, Kohu, Brandon Jones coming off the in, uh, off the injury, but you know uh, the the kid from Detroit, uh, Deshaun Elliott. You know there are there are players on the back end that you can be you know you can hang the hat on. So I, I think he was talking about linebacker, but I also do think he's worried about the depth that. A defensive line because you know let's say god forbid a christian wilkins gets hurt um you know that that's a that's a big problem for the dolphins yeah they're holding on to all this money and eventually they got to spend some of it because I, I do think they're a little light on certain uncertain positions uh this dalvin cook thing uh these new deadlines that is that is not going to happen they ju- they just keep I would popping up staggered <laughs> yeah it's not going to happen i mean it's it, it, it's it's if it was going to happen it would have happened by now he wants too much money, and, and the Dolphins are really happy with with the running back room. I know this is fact. They they are happy with where they are. Uh, McDaniel loves the kid. Um, you know, if, if Cook was to to shave five million off his asking price, then it might happen. Yes. But it, at this point, it is not going to happen. There are, and there are going to be teams out there that are going to pay more money um, to have him play. Miami do not believe that he's an elite running back. Miami believe that he is a good player, but a fading, in inverted commas, force. And I don't mean that in a detrimental way, but I mean that he is not the player that he once was. Six years in the NFL, a lot of carries, um, you know, a, a lot of carries at, at Florida State where he was the primary running back, um, you know, for a, for a Florida State team. A lot of carries in high school. The wear and tear is beginning to show. Um, and Miami just don't think it's financially worth it, especially when you consider that they feel like they might have to make a move at linebacker, and they're definitely going to have to make one or two moves, probably two moves at, at defensive tackle. Um, that that six six million on Dalvin Cook is just not money that they're prepared to spend unless something dra- drastically changes. Uh, and based on conversations I've had, I don't see that happening at any point. Yeah, and. The latest on that is because they keep coming up with new excuses for why it hasn't happened yet, and it's mostly from from Dalvin Cook's camp, who's just I guess they're just trying to run out the clock here, and until somebody just until somebody gets injured, I guess I guess because the latest is July seventeenth is the deadline where people can rescind these franchise tags, and I guess he's waiting for somebody to I guess take that injury, and yeah, it pays it. Plays into Dalvin's hands to 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 bide his time. He doesn't need to sign on now. He doesn't. You know, he's a six year veteran. He doesn't need to be you know ready on the first day of camp necessarily. He can just bide his time, pick the best opportunity, and let's say uh you know somebody goes down at you know in Carolina or somebody goes down in you know Tampa or somebody goes down in wherever. You know, he's able to step in and uh, and take the money. And whilst it was, you know, it was great to hear him talking, you know about him and DeAndre Hopkins ending up in the same team. I'm not sure there's teams out there that have got that sort of money to bring them both in. You know, rumours about the Patriots, but, you know, uh, uh, do the Patriots have that money to bring both of them in? Uh, Ramondre Stevenson, Ramondre Stevenson is a significantly better running back than Dalvin Cook is. Um, So I don't know why he'd be spending. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely he is. And as a specialist... Ramondre Stevenson is... And as a specialist, Go you got to think that maybe Kareem Hunt might might help the team a little bit better in the short run. Yeah, yeah. Or, I mean, just, or even Leonard just Fournette. I just, 
Yeah, and look, people talk about, you know, you hear fans going, oh, well, Dalvin doesn't need to be the, maybe he just gets 10 touches a game. But you know, has anybody has anybody that's saying that actually spoken to Dalvin Cook about it? Because I'm pretty sure that Dalvin Cook doesn't want just 10 touches a game. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? He doesn't want to be a rotational. He wants to he wants to carry the ball. You yeah. know, he, he's a 27-year-old who feels like he should be getting 20, 25 touches a game. Yeah, Dalvin Cook you wants know, to... He wants to hold up the Lombardi because he said that he just that that the only thing he has left to accomplish is hold up the the Lombardi, but there's always a caveat to that, and nobody ever says the second part of that, which is no. you want to hold up the Lombardi and be the reason you're holding up the Lombardi. Yeah, as a contributor, <laughs> yes. Dalvin Cook does not want to come to Miami and have five carries for 27 yards in week one, and three carries for 14 yards week two, and six carries for 21 yards week three, and four carries. He doesn't want that. He wants to be 15, 18, 22 carries game one, 15, 18, 20. You know, he wants to be the bell cow, and he believes that age 27, off back-to-back-to-back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons, he deserves that, and, and and he does. But it won't be in Miami unless something drastically changes. All right, we got uh, Suge Daniels uh, up at the stage. You have a question. You can ask it. You can unmute yourself first, and then you can ask the question. Please don't make it a difficult one about a player I haven't heard of, like when Alf just literally launched into Randy Charlton, an undrafted free agent who I haven't thought about for two months. The guy's been on the depth chart for three months. I think we got to start looking I mean, up. His, I, I was looking looking up his film today, uh, and I couldn't find anything. There was a Mississippi State LSU game from this year, and I'm like, okay, great. Uh, he should be on there. I think I saw him play like six snaps. <laughs> So. Next time, I just just give me a like a dolly of a question to start with, just something I can ease into, you yeah. know, rather than throwing me some rope about some kid that I've watched last September or whatever. Aubrey Miller, go. Yeah, exactly. No, <laughs> Shug Daniels going <laughs> twice. Hit it. Unfortunately, it's kind of on that topic, but it's um, I wanted to know. Um, I you sound last... just like Alf. <laughs> I remember last year, uh, you guys talking about. Kohu, even before like he wasn't like really doing anything like in the training camp tweets or anything really in preseason and i remember i think it was alf saying like you know keep an eye on this guy kohu coaches really like um keeping you know you just keep hearing that like there's good things about him is there anyone on this team that you're kind of getting that same message from oh good question um that's a really good question. I mean, one of the, one of the things about Kohu, just while we're on here, is how does a player like that fall through the cracks to the, you know, and end up playing college ball where he did? In terms of a guy that comes in and plays, you know, really, really well in the NFL as a rookie, you know, what? How, how did a kid like that just end up at Texas A and M Commerce? I mean, that is that defies belief. Um, good question. Uh, who do I think is somebody, I mean, somebody that was making noise in, um, in mini camp and who played well, but the caveat is that they also did very well in mini camp and, um, training camp last year was Eric, as Um, I thought he showed up. I spoke to a couple of people who said he just looked much more mentally aware. He looked better physically, even though he looks pretty good physically anyway, last year, you know, his long, long arms, um, he just had a better understanding. And the thing with Ezukama, there, there are two things that you have to think about with him. The first is that, you know, he was essentially being, having to learn every single position, which is extremely difficult, even if you're playing in a in a pro-style offense, even if you're playing for David Shaw at Stanford, or even if you're playing for, for Nick Saban at Alabama in terms of, you know, more pro looks uh, in terms of what you see 
on a down-to-down basis in college football, right? In terms of route combinations, in terms of switch releases, in terms of uh, two-way goes, all of those sorts of things. What you got with Ezukanma coming out of where he did is that he is he had never been in a huddle. You know, every single play from high school in Timber Creek, uh, where he went to where he went to high school in Fort Worth, to Texas Tech, he was literally getting signals in from the sideline. So he wouldn't line up in a huddle. So even when he got to the NFL level, the whole conceit that the easiest thing of all, i.e., stand around in a group and and listen to one person get he he had no idea he in terms of the in terms of the verbiage in terms of what he was listening what he was being told you know essentially his plays would be somebody holding up a three cards on the sideline with a picture of a submarine an elephant and a and a top hat and that would be a you know a, a three yard slant or a sluggo or whatever. So he was all of a sudden being pitched into a situation where he was getting extremely long verbiage from Tua or from from Skylar or from Teddy and him not really understanding what all that meant because he'd just not been in that environment ever. So I think Ezekiel was a guy that mentally showed up and looked like he had taken a step, which is, I think, what the what the team wanted to do. I, I mean, I know they were really keen on seeing whether or not any of the tight ends would just begin to, whether that was Higgins, who they're really high on. Uh, nobody really stood out. Durham Smythe did a decent job. I think the one guy that, that I got sort of talked about a little bit was a guy that I thought played really well in the minimal snaps that he played for the Dolphins last year, and that was Kendall Lamb. Mm. Um I thought he played really well at left tackle against the Patriots. I know Chris didn't necessarily think he played quite as well, but I thought he was really good against New England in, in, before he got hurt. And he apparently played well, no Toronto Armstead during this mini camp. And he essentially played a lot of left tackle um, and played it very well. Uh, you know, he's a guy certainly that I think the Dolphins feel like they can rely on at left tackle should something, should the worst case scenario happen to, to Ron. Obviously, Isaiah Wynn is in the mix. The, the the one other player that kind of stood out and seemed to stand out every day was the kid from Miami, Mitchell Agood, um, who seemed to be making plays every single day. Now, you obviously have to take all of this because it's minicamp, it's, it's May, with a massive pinch of salt. You know, we, we've all had, you know, spring and early summer superstars that just disappear. But it felt like a good had, you know, was just doing things against some pretty good players. You know, he wasn't doing it against Teron Armstead. He wasn't doing it against Rob Hunt. But he was doing it against guys who started in the NFL. He was getting to to the quarterback. Uh, he made a mess of he made a mess of the kid that we drafted from Michigan, Ryan Hayes. But it wasn't just Hayes that he was making a mess of. Um, so I, I I certainly think he will be one to keep an eye on moving into into the summer and i think if you're beginning to get towards the midpoint of august and you're starting to hear the same sort of words that we were hearing about kohu uh, around august then you kind of feel like okay this might not just be a mini camp flash in the pan this might be a kid that you know can can make the roster and i, I say that about a good because i think you you know you throw into the mix guys like Malik Reed, you throw into the mix guys obviously like Van Ginkle is going to make the team, but you throw into the mix a Cameron Good who they drafted last year. You know, that that's going to be an interesting battle to see, okay, who could be this sub package pass rusher? If Van Ginkle is going to play a little bit more inside at times, which is they hinted at, who is going to be a guy that or on third and long that can come in and just spell a Jalen Phillips, can just spell a Bradley Chubb or can be an extra rusher if they you know if they 
um, sub chub inside you know can Cameron Good or can Mitchell Good can they get to the quarterback on third and seven in a critical juncture at a game and, and I think that's something that it really bears keeping an eye on yeah uh, Shug you have anything question, else though, dude. you have anything else if... um, well another question I had kind of different topic um how do you guys get like to the point of like getting like credentials to actually like show up at training camp and like be on the field? Like, what's the process you guys have to go through that? You had to be known and kind of a big deal, like I am. <laughs> My God. So I don't go to training camp, but so I go to games, obviously. Um, but when I go to games, I'm accredited through the magazine or have been accredited through the BBC in the past, uh, but mainly through the magazine. Um, and you sign up essentially uh, to the NFL has its own accreditation site, um, which is a special site that you have to apply to the NFL for. And you have to give an explanation and a reasoning as to why you would want accreditation, who you work for, your experience of covering the league. You have to send examples of work that you've done. Um, and then for each game, you apply individually to the team. So you, each team has its own page on this accreditation site and you apply to the games that you are going to attend. Um, and you give the reason why you're going to be there and what you're doing and who's it for. And then you are accredited and you're assigned a seat and uh, you just turn up. And um, then what happens? So the, the great thing with, with college, and the same thing happens with college football, um, you apply via a, an individual team system, online system. Uh, I don't know if it's still the same post-pandemic, but certainly pre-pandemic in the SEC, you are allowed to go down to the to the sideline for the start of the fourth quarter. So you can't go in the bench area, but you can go anywhere on the sideline, which is pretty amazing. So I've done a number of games where I've been down at the sideline. Uh, Mississippi, I don't know if Keith's on the line, but Mississippi State, Alabama was pretty amazing. Um, Alabama were were down fourteen three in the fourth quarter. Nick Ferguson, uh, Nick Ferguson was it the Mississippi State quarterback? Jalen Hurts was quarterback for Alabama. Minka was playing. Um, Tua was a freshman, and Hurts brought them back and they won in the last minute. But the noise of the atmosphere was absolutely insane with the cowbells and stuff. And um, and that's how it works in college football. You don't get to go down the sideline in the NFL. But what tends to happen is that at the two minute warning. Um, the press officers start to go downstairs and you start to go downstairs. You're not allowed in the locker room for 15 minutes after the end of the game to allow the players to shower uh, because obviously you've got 60, 70 plus guys in terms of players, practice squad players, coaches, etc., etc., who are showering and you've got uh, female uh, interviewees, uh, interviewers, whether that's print, whether that's TV, uh, radio, etc., etc. So after 15 minutes, you're allowed to go in. Quarterbacks are pretty much off limits. Um, you, there is a press conference with the head coach and the quarterback. That's when you can ask quarterback the questions. But then when you go into the locker room, the quarterback oftentimes gets dressed in a little side room, which kind of the media don't really go into. Sometimes they get dressed at their locker, but it's kind of, they usually sit with the head press officer. So for example, Aaron Rodgers at Green Bay will get dressed in the in the Green Bay locker room, but the head press officer at Green Bay will sit next to him. And essentially people know that you can't really, uh, the unofficial rule is you can't really approach him for questions. Some players will talk. Some players don't really want to talk. I've been in locker rooms where 
Juju Smith-Schuster, for example, had a massive game against Carolina on a Thursday night for the Steelers, had like 200 yards and a big 80-yard touchdown. Um, he was at the podium because he was kind of the player of the game, but then wouldn't take any questions. Whereas you get guys like, I don't know, who else have I spoken to? Like Alejandro Villanueva was really good. Um, who else was really good? Like what you tend to find is kind of either offensive or defensive linemen are great and sort of peripheral players are really good. Uh, Christian Wilkins is excellent. Jarvis Landry is always really good. Kenny Stills was always really good for the Dolphins. Mike Pouncey was very good. And the flip side of that is kind of Kiko Alonso was like talking to paint. Um, <laughs> he was pretty dull. Um, the, the the really interesting one is guys who saw I was at the Falcons-Cowboys game when Adrian Claiborne had six sacks in yes. 2019. And I can't remember who played left tackle, but Tyron Smith was injured. But the guy who played left tackle just got absolutely hammered, gave up all six sacks. And it, it's pretty painful watching guys like that kind of because and the great thing about American sport is that A, you're allowed that access. But B, generally what happens is that, it, it, you know, if guys have had a stinker, a, a player's fumbled at the end or a... Um, you know, has given up six sacks, they will generally talk. Um, so I remember the poor tortured left tackle whose name escapes me kind of being I'm incredibly magnanimous. <laughs> yeah, it, being incredibly magnanimous about um, his pretty woeful performance and, um, you know, kind of getting hounded by the press. But but generally, yeah, you can, you know, that's that's what you do. You apply to the NFL first off um, and you have to give the, the organisation that you work for and the NFL will sign that off and then sign you off. Um, and then you apply directly to the teams for individual games and uh, you then have to sub give a reason why you're going to be there. And then finally, um, yeah, locker room is is interesting. You know, you see some sights and sounds, you know, Antonio Brown in a floor length fur coat. Chaz uh, Green. Out the locker room. Chaz Green, that was the guy. I felt very <laughs> sorry for him, but he... Um, I hate the term manned up, but he manned up after that performance and uh, and was very giving to the press despite the fact that he'd got... And, and actually, I, what you tend to find is that guys that do that, you know, tend to get a slightly easier ride because the press understand that, you know, you know, they see the pain, they see that how much it hurts, that, you know, it, it's not like he did it on purpose. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting... Uh, and the, the relationship generally is very interesting between press certainly the local beat writers and the and the players there's a generally a very good relationship and a you know a winning locker room is a really good locker room to go in and a losing locker room is a really bad locker room to go in you know i've asked questions of players and had conversations and built some relationships with player you know you, you go in and you know i asked I, I spoke to aaron Rodgers on a number of occasions um you know after defeat in new england and it's hard to ask questions because you know these are guys that, that that care, and losing to Tom Brady was a big deal for for Rogers. You know, it's um, it's not always easy to find the right question to to make sure you don't come across like an arsehole. Because I've seen some, um, you know, I've yeah. seen some players really have a um, I've seen some players really have a uh, a bit of a meltdown at, at reporters over certain questions. So, oh God, Joey Porter. Uh, one, yeah, yeah. One other um, one other funny kind of locker room story. I don't know if there's any Brits on the call, but um, my uh magazine editor or former editor one of my closest friends is called matt sherry some of you might know him on, on twitter he's a big new england fan was the magazine editor he is from the not far northeast of this country of england and his accent is very very strong 
um, for that part of the world. Uh, he's got essentially what's known as a Geordie accent, which is a very, very, very strong, uh, very working class area, very kind of former mining community. And we were in a press conference in New Orleans and Sean Payton was talking. And Matt is a very uh, intelligent, thoughtful, uh, interesting person. And he asked Sean Payton a question from the back of the room. But he did so, obviously, in his normal voice, which is very, very strong. And Sean Payton, fortunately, who's lived in the UK because he played for Leicester um, for a couple of years as a quarterback and travels back and forth to the UK, has got friends here and stuff. It wasn't a problem for him. But every other reporter in the room, was it was as if an alien had landed. Um <laughs> Because the looks, there were like people, like I was looking around, there were people like open mouthed and absolutely aghast at like they couldn't understand what he was saying. They didn't know who this person was. It's very funny when you see, when you when you ask a question at a press conference and people are like, oh, wow, he's Eng- English? What? Very funny. But yeah, it's, um, Sean Payton was great, but some of the local New Orleans press were like, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah. And I'll answer uh, Shug Daniels' uh, question uh, as far as uh, credentials. Uh, before it used to be just I knew people on the team and they would credential me for a few practices a year. Uh, ever since we started the podcast, uh, we contacted them through five reasons. And then I had contact with with uh, Jason Jenkins, uh, rest in peace. And he was a fan of our podcast. So he credentialed us for absolutely everything. So we had full access. And if it was going to be three of us, we would have had three credentials for absolutely every practice, every game, every OTA uh, full access up and down. Uh, as far as the NFL, it's uh, it's very much like like Simon said. Um, you they ask you to enter this portal where you submit an application. Uh, during COVID, it was a little bit different. You had to submit all your credentials as far as vaccination and such and a medical record, and they would check that out, and then they would get back to you with your eligibility. And that's how we got to the Super Bowl which is uh, I actually got credential for the Super Bowl, and then I gave my credential to, to Chris, who went in instead of me because I've, I don't really like watching games live, <laughs> even if it's the Super Bowl, okay? so And I didn't feel like working it. I felt like drinking and watching the actual game. It was the San Francisco-Kansas uh, City Super Bowl where Kansas City came back to win. Um, but the NFL has been a dream ever since we started this podcast. I send them my links to our shows i guess they listen to them or they don't but they've credentialed us to everything that we've asked for uh for the nfl draft they gave us three credentials uh i used one uh i gave one to chris that he came along the other one was supposed to be for simon but we ended up taking matt who's actually a member of this uh of this forum um uh, we had to go actually give uh, give titles and my title was host chris was host and we made Matt our producer, although he wasn't doing much production. But yeah, it's um, you know, you just go through a portal. You you basically apply for it, and they either give it to you or they don't. It's as simple as that. We've been very very lucky, but uh, I tend to think that you know we've built up enough goodwill and a decent enough resume that you know they don't think twice about giving us a credential nowadays. And it's almost yeah, I don't know if I'm going next year to Detroit. But the following year, I believe it's going to be. Do you know, Simon, where the 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 draft is going to be after Detroit? Green Bay, isn't it? I think it is Green Bay, right? If that's the if that's the case, yeah, we're, I think we're all going. Like I got to go see that. Place, the other right? thing, 
the other thing is about credentials is that um, I once got Brett a ticket for Chelsea against Manchester City at Stamford Bridge when it was kind of towards the end of the season and they were first and second in the Premier League. And um, so he owes me. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's that's how we roll when it comes to dealing with the... Uh, when it comes to dealing with the um, the press team of the Dolphins, who are generally very good, actually. Jason uh, was was superb. Brett is great. Um, Desmond Howard's daughter works in the um, in the press office, and obviously uh, the lady whose name escapes me, but Anne is, Nolan. Uh, kind of Anne Nolan is yeah, the, and, she's the head honcho now. Anne is now the head, and then kind of in charge of McDaniel and stuff, and uh, uh, and she's um, she's good as well. So yeah, it's a they're, they're a decent they're a decent group. Yeah, it, it was hilarious because she's very accommodating as well. She she would uh, she would come up to me. And she goes, "Do you need anybody after practice? Anybody you want to talk to?" So I will, I always want somebody more, you know, obscure because I like talking to coaches more than I like talking to players. And I asked for what was the name of that defensive tackle that that that, that Chris and I kind of liked last year. He ended up getting cut, went to Cleveland. What the hell was his name? Uh, uh, the white guy. Yes, big white guy. Yeah, I know who you mean. Anyway, yeah. Uh, I've, uh, ben, well, ben something. I forgot his name. Anyway, I requested him. Stilly. Ben Stilly. Yes. I requested him, and Anne looked at me, and she goes, why? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I just want to ask a couple of questions. If he has time for us, you know, and I basically just asked him uh, draft questions and who recruited him, who, how did he sign, how was the UDFA process, and it was rather interesting because he got cut a week later. But yes, yeah. Capstern is up on the stage. You have Simon for another ten minutes. He has to make it to, to at least seven forty-five p.m. Oh no, it's fine. Uh, top of the hour is fine. Top of the hour is fine. Cool. That means he's going to go up to eight. So you have him for twenty-five more minutes. Make it count. The queue was filled, and now it's filling again. Capstern, go away. Take it away. Hey guys, it's nice to finally be here. Um, so I got kind of a little bit of a two-part question. One thing, Alf, and I've heard both you and Simon over years say this, that in football, everything's so complex, so many people doing everything simultaneously, that that consistency from year over year means so much. Like, look at the Steelers and how they're, you know, the same staff and blah, 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 blah. You know, I understand how much people hate Austin Jackson and Liam Eikenberg, and then also the, the national crapping on two that's regular. But all those guys are actually going to go into their second year in the same system for the first time. So the two questions, since offensive line is so complex, can it really make that big a difference where he could be surprised or is he just a trash can? And if Tua does stay healthy for this second year in his system, what really is the top end of what he could be in this system with these guys? Um, I, I think that it is imperative that look i think the thing about austin jackson right that, that's important to remember is that he i thought he was pretty decent as a rookie left tackle before mm -hmm. he got hurt absolutely um so there is clearly clearly nfl ability there right what happened when he got injured that has made him struggle so much both as a left tackle and then as a right tackle right our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. 
Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. I think last season's uh, sample size was way too small to judge him on in terms of what he was. Um, I think there were flashes of okay. I think there were flashes of not okay. And then he got hurt. Um, he is an athletic freak, really, when you look at it in terms of his physical size, his physical ability. My concern with Jackson is that I didn't think he was a very good player in college. Um, I thought he gave up way too many pressures. Um, I thought he way. I, I mean, hopefully next week I'm going to start doing these these college looks at players, and obviously offensive tackle is an important area. And you look at guys like Ola Fashnu and Joe Alton and guys like that. There's a kid at Duke, Graham Barton, who I, I think is a good player. Um, and I think what you saw on tape with Jackson at USC was he was oversetting. He was stiff in his hips. He played too high. He had had defenders to get into his body. But he does have really good physical traits. Now, one of the things that came out of minicamp and that I kept hearing every day was that he was in unbelievable shape mm-hmm. in terms of how he looked. Now, how does that translate on the field? The question with Eichenberg is a really interesting one because the flip side for me is is true in that he was a player I really liked in college. I thought he was going to be a very good I thought he could play left tackle in the NFL, given how he played at Notre Dame. Right? He gave it one sack in three seasons. But I thought if he's not going to play left tackle, he's going to play right tackle. And if he's not going to play right tackle, he's going to be a fucking superb guard. He's just going to mash people because that's what he did. And none of it's happened, really. I, mm-hmm. I thought early last season he played okay. He played okay against Baltimore. Um, but then he got the injury. I think it's quite interesting in that I heard some fairly good notices about how he was taking snaps as a center uh, and i think center is quite an interesting position for him but i do feel slightly concerned that the team are beginning to think that crisis this you know it, it feels like center is last chance saloon for him in a way mm-hmm. um maybe that's not true maybe it's just because michael deet has moved on and that they just need a guy who can come in potentially because as as um as good as connor williams was and as available as connor williams was if something does happen to him who's going to play at center so it might be an element of that but i do slightly worry about whether or not eichenberg is kind of the, the coaches are just thinking look if he, if he can't play centre, we might just have to, to bid him off. So that's where I'm on the offensive line. I'll get Alf to, to, to answer that, his side of things. Uh, to your second question, Cap, about, about Tua, look, how long is a piece of string? We saw how good he could be at times if he stays healthy. Obviously, the caveat to that is if he stays healthy, he can be an MVP candidate type, a top 10 player in the league type, if he can stay healthy, I would be concerned about how 
teams began to figure him out down the stretch. San Francisco figured him out. Um, the Chargers figured him out. Now he bounced back against Buffalo and had a monster game against the Bills. Um, what were the reasons behind his really, really poor performance in the second half against Green Bay? Now, was it the concussion? It's an easy excuse to make, um, but it could be a, a really valid reason. Now, the flip side to any an easy excuse is that he did make some really good throws in the second half. Now, if he was affected by the concussion, you can't have it both ways. He either was affected by the concussion and, you know, that's why he threw those interceptions or he wasn't affected by the concussion because he made a number of really good throws. So that to me is quite an interesting one. I think that if he can stay healthy and if they can run the ball more and they don't overmatch him in critical situations, i.e. big third and ones where they just kept throwing and throwing and throwing, if they can move the chains, I, I think Mike McDaniel needs to run the ball more. Um, I think he can be the, the absolute perfect game manager for this team and game manager is a, a shitty word but you know what I mean uh, he uh, you know I have long banged the drum for him since he was a freshman at, at Alabama I knew all about him at St. John's I thought he was tremendous at Alabama I wrote a long piece for Gridiron about a cover story when I spoke to him and interviewed him how I thought he should be the first pick how I thought he was a transcendent quarterback because of his accuracy and nobody will be happier than me if he becomes the superstar that we all think he can be. But he has got to be able to stay healthy and he has got to be able to eradicate some of the issues that we saw against San Francisco where, you know, if he just if the game just goes off the boil, it can get really ugly. Same thing against the Chargers, same thing against the against the, the Packers. He has got to come out early and banish those memories because, you know, beyond that Buffalo game, really the abiding memory is three interceptions against the Packers, is a concussion against the Packers, is not playing the rest of the season, is potential retirement, is being 7 nothing up against San Francisco and then kind of the team generally, but him especially, sort of blowing that game. Um, and then that, you know, woeful performance for much of the game against the Chargers. You know, national TV game, late afternoon window against the 49ers, a national TV Christmas Day game against the Packers. You know, a lot of opportunity for, for him to show the doubters uh, that he is all that. Because for much of the season, he showed that he was all that. But you, you look at the national games, and, and unfortunately, the derivative of the conversation around the, the national Football League happens when everybody is watching. And he played well in patches against the Bengals through an ugly pick. Um, he got hurt on a play where he should have thrown a, a, for a big game to Jana Waddle and inexplicably pulled it down. You know, a big national TV game against the Chargers kind of blew it. Big Sunday win, Sunday afternoon window against the 49ers kind of blew it. Christmas Day window against the Packers kind of blew it. So, you know, you just want him to come out, banish the memory in week one and just really just show the charges and show the NFL because it's going to, you know, it's going to be a big game. It'll be a, you know, well-watched late window, two really good young quarterbacks going at each other. And, you know, he, he as everybody does, Justin Herbert still has points to prove. You know, I don't. I think Joe Burrow's elevated himself to to the level where he doesn't have anything to prove anymore. You know, he's he is an elite NFL quarterback, um, and Tua can be that, but he's just got to stay healthy and he's got to eradicate some of the mistakes. And and Mike McDonough did such a good job of putting him in a position to win and putting him in a position to to take advantage of all the amazing tools that he really does possess in that toolkit. And hopefully, 
as McDaniel matures as a play caller, as Tua matures as a and develops within that system, and the added nuance to the system that doubtless will have been added during the off season, uh, I think it'll be really exciting and interesting to see where he to see where he goes. That was a like a slight follow up I was going to bring up as those late season games. How much of that could have really been McDaniel getting just fascinated with his own navel and genius, and just not bothering to continue to innovate throughout the thing, and people catching up to him? No, I think it was a, certainly a little bit of people catching up to him, but um, I, I just think sometimes you just got to, you know, you've just got to hold your hands up and say, look, you know, we can go back and look at some of those throws against the 49ers that he was just well off. He was just off target. He was, you know, it was disappointing. It's same against the Chargers. The Chargers completely figured out that scheme. They completely figured out the system in terms of how to flood the middle of the field and, and do what they did. Um, and, and we had no plan B for it. And that was a concern. And I think the concern was that we kept on trying to stuff the the peg into the, the, the round peg into the square hole or vice versa. Um, and it didn't work. And once it's, once it became obvious that it didn't work, I think that there was definitely an element of navel gazing from McDaniel in terms of, I'm just going to keep stuffing it because sooner or later the edge of the, the edge of the turf is going to break and I'm going to be able to fit this square peg into this round hole. Um, whereas actually what he needed to do was change the game up. It was a screen game. It was running, it, you know, it was, it was jet sweeps. It was establish the run, establish the run, get a defender into the box, uh, it, then play, play action them to death. It was it, it was those sorts of things. It was bubble screens. It was all of those things. And I think that is an element of Mike's game that he needs to mature with. Um, and there is nuance to play calling. And it, it must be insanely difficult in the heat of the moment, in a big game where you're trying desperately. You've got this kind of great race car that this offense is. And all of a sudden, you know, you can't get it out of third gear. And you know that when it gets into fifth gear, it's unbelievable. So you just keep thinking, oh, I'm just going to keep trying to get it into fifth, trying to get it into fifth. And sometimes it's okay to, to, you know, to go down into the inside lane, put it into second gear, and let's just see what we can, you know, see if we can not limp in, because that's not what I mean. But in terms of just, can we mix it up? Can we be uh, different? And I don't think we were different enough in situations that, that demanded difference um, uh, and that would have been leaning on the running game. And I think we'll see more of that this season because, you know, he's still got, he's got his two left-handers back that he really likes most and, and Wilson. He's got the rookie who he absolutely loves. Uh, and then he's got, you know, Gaskin and, and Ahmed who are, you know, have both proven, but especially Ahmed, I think at times has really proven to be exactly the sort of, you know, don't forget that's a guy that the 49ers brought in as an undrafted free agent. Um, you know, when Mike McDaniel was there. So he knows him, he likes him. I, I think in gold as well, I think the, you know, getting the ball to the tight ends on little flares, all of those sorts of things, just to mix things up. You don't have to keep, you know, going to the well over and over and over again. And I think there were times in big games, in big moments where we got a bit predictable. Uh, and I think they will have studied that. In fact, I know they've studied that. They've sat down and had a, a good old self-evaluation of how they called plays, especially in big moments and big games. And it'll be interesting to see what they um what they do. Yeah, uh, as far as Liam Eikenberg, I've I've spoken about this, and yeah, I think it's a bad sign when the OTAs start. And I and I don't think I'm revealing anything here because this has been reported ad nauseum by by all who who've been out there. It's a bad sign when the OTAs be, begin and Isaiah Wynn is handed the starting left guard spot, and Liam Eikenberg is now 
snapping the ball as the backup center, and Dan Feeney's not playing as a center, although you know that he's here to do precisely that. It just seemed like he's on the Michael Dieter trajectory, where they're trying to figure out, you know what, it wouldn't be a bad thing if he could actually play every single position on the offensive line. It seems like they're trying to justify his roster spot, and you know it's just always a bad sign. When he was the incumbent at left guard, they sign a guy, and a week later, the guy is the starting left guard in all of the OTAs. So that's a bad sign. As far as Tua, yeah, absolutely. He could be, yeah, you know, the sky's the limit. He could be anything you could you can want him to be. You know, two-time MVP when it's all said and done. You know, 12, 15-year career in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, absolutely. All of that is possible. The season he had last year, if he can duplicate that 10 more times, that's going to be a pretty damn good case because he had a very good season last year. But I agree with Sammy. He has to clean up a lot of those things. The the San, uh, I keep saying San Diego, the Los Angeles game, the Chargers, uh, they threw one quick out the entire game. It went for 15 yards to Jalen Waddle. They threw three nine routes. One of them went for a 60-yard touchdown to Tyreek Hill. They kept trying to throw their same game plan of uh, dig crosser over route, dig crosser over route, over and over and over again. And then the only counter they had off of that is to try to use leverage to just throw options off of it. And Tua, quite frankly, missed them. And the receivers really didn't adjust all too well. And that's all on McDaniel and the quarterback. They're the ones who run the offense on game day. All right, Ron. The, the, All right, the, the other thing I would say about Tua is the, the the one thing that nobody wants to consider, right, which is that one more serious concussion, and I think he will be done as a player. I, I genuinely believe that. Um, I think the noise will be so big around it in terms of just the, the, the media noise and the NFL noise, but I, I know as fact that his family were very concerned and remain very concerned, um, and that's why there was an admittance of a consideration that he was he would walk away. I think that if if there is another serious concussion, and look, you may never get a concussion ever again. You know the, these things. Yeah, that's the way these things happen sometimes. But if he was to get a concussion, say in week three, I I think there would be a very very serious conversation. Yeah, there would be front page editorial leads and the New York Times and the LA Times, and you know it would make the news over here in terms of sports news and those sorts of things if he. If he was to keep playing, there would be a serious, serious consideration about his long-term mental and physical health in terms of in, in terms of the concussion. I just don't think that the Dolphins and Tua and Tua's family in their right mind could continue to put him out on the field knowing that he now, that would have been, what, one at Alabama that we know of, at least two, maybe three, depending on how you view it in Miami last season. Um you know, that would be four slash five in, you know, five years. That would be a very, very, very difficult conference. And the Dolphins would come under just significant fire. You know, it would be a, a shitstorm like you've never heard before um, if that were to happen. So, look, I, I don't think he's any more likely to get a concussion than anybody else is. Um, and he may not get one for another five years, but you know, I do worry about what might happen should he bang his head early in the season and, and what that means just long-term for his career. All right, Ron, you're up, dear. I just wanted to say something before I ask my question. 
on the concussion thing with Tua, it is possible that, like Simon said, that he doesn't get more concussions. I want to point to Jalen Phillips, if we recall, in college. That was the knock on him. They had had several concussions, and I think it made teams leery. Maybe he would have even been drafted a little higher. I think a few teams didn't even consider him as a risk as a, of a first-rounder, and he plays a position where <laughs> it's definitely a more aggressive position and a, a bigger chance to get concussion, and he's had zero issue in the NFL. So there is a chance, and I'm hoping that Tua doesn't have concussion issues going forward, you know, hopefully for him especially. But my question uh, is for both of you, but I'll ask Simon first because Simon's always been the one to, to tell us the truth. So I'm really curious this yeah, year. Yeah, I'm just a fucking answer. liar. No, you're not a liar, but si- Simon's gonna he's gonna give us the the, the low end of it. Like he's gonna t- t- tamper down the expectations always. So, and besides Buffalo, maybe and maybe we're catching up. But I'm gonna give you Buffalo and Kansas City. Which teams in the AFC do you believe are certainly better than Miami this year, Simon? Um, that's a good question. I mean, look, I I, I think when you have uh, an elite quarterback. I think that you um, and an, in, an understanding of what it takes to get to the Super Bowl. So therefore, that would throw in the Bengals, right? I, I think the Bengals are a really good team. I think they're, um, you know, I've been hugely critical in the past of uh, of Zach Taylor, but actually, you can't argue with what he's done over the last couple of years. They retained Luana Rumo, which was huge, um, uh, and I think in Joe Burrow, they've got one of the top three, four, five quarterbacks in the league. They added Orlando um, Brown, which is a really nice acquisition. Yeah, exactly. You know, you look at the talent at receiver with Boyd and Chase and Higgins and, you know, at tight end, they added um, they added some guys. They added Irv Smith and, uh, and, and guys like that. Obviously, then, they, you know, it, it's been a project in terms of sorting out the offensive line, but, you know, they bring in a guy that's won two Super Bowls in Orlando Brown. Um, you know, that there are players there that they can, you know, whether that move, means moving Jonah Williams to, to, to right tackle or, or where he ends up. Obviously, they can get to the quarterback defensively with Hendrickson, with Sam Hubbard. They added Miles Murphy. Joseph Asai really started to come on last year. You know, they can they can play the run with, you know, guys like DJ Reader and BJ Hill, who are both terrific. They've got really good linebackers, Pratt and Wilson. Um you know, especially, and then in the secondary, Chidobi Awuzie was developing into one of the, you know, upper tier corners in, in the league. And then you throw in a guy like Jordan Battle, you throw in Daxon Hill, you throw in Mike Hilton, who's one of the best slot guys in the league. Yeah, Cam Taylor Britt, yeah, DJ Turner, who I, I really like the kid they got from Michigan. And they've got, you know, they've got a really good kicking game with McPherson. So they are just, a, I, I think the Bengals are a really good, they're not going away anywhere. And you keep Joe Burrow healthy, then they're always going to be difficult to, to be, I, I think the Jaguars are a decent team, you know, and you look at the development of Trevor Lawrence, um, you know, can they protect Trevor uh, moving forwards? I, I think that, you know, depending on depending on injury um, to some critical players, uh, you know, whether that's Austin Eckler, whether that's um, Keenan Allen, etc. I think the Chargers have got a lot of talent. Um, can they get out of the way of their coaching? Because I, I, I think there are some question marks certainly around um around the head coach um and some of and some of his um some of Brandon Staley's decision making and look as much as it pains us i think Aaron Rodgers certainly makes the jets a very interesting team and if you were to pick a team that could go worst to first then the jets would be one of those teams i think the browns you know if Deshaun Watson it can re- retain the, the or recover the form that he had 
you know, in Houston. I think that's a team that could could be very interesting. But I think, you know, the Chiefs, the 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 Bills, the Bengals and the Dolphins, I think are the class of the AFC. And then, you know, you look at who else could potentially join them and, you know, the Chargers might be one, the Browns might be another, the Jets might be another. But, you know, Miami are right there. If they keep the quarterback healthy, you know, there's a there's a lot that they can do. There's a lot they they can do. And and I don't think it would be beyond the realms of possibility for them to find themselves in an AFC Championship game should they stay healthy at all the critical positions. And by that, I mean, you know, Ramsey and Howard. I mean, Wilkins. I mean, the pass rush. I mean, Armstead. I mean, Waddle and Hill. And I mean, the quarterback. If they can continue to, you know, if they can keep those guys healthy, Ron, I think, um, you know, they could be in for a very big year. Yeah, I kind of liked how Miami looked against Cincinnati for most of that game. And if you remember, they took a lead with Teddy Bridgewater. And they had the ball with three minutes left at the 30-yard line, down, I believe, a field goal. And then he threw the, the pick, which got... Yeah, the, the drop touchdown on the opening drive, the chase head. Yeah, so, so they were competitive with Cincinnati. So, But I think the question was, who's clearly better? Like, I think Kansas City and Cincinnati may... Uh, I think Kansas City, there's no doubt about that, okay? Uh, I think they'll be the one seed again. And I think Aaron Rodgers has guaranteed that there will not be a one seed out of the AFC East, which means Kansas City will be the one seed once again. Maybe Cincinnati. Uh, I do like the the Browns. There's a paper case to make that they have one of the best rosters in the AFC. But I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt to the Bengals. The way you equalize that is try to get your game in the playoffs against the Bengals at home. So win the division. Uh, If there's a year where you're going to overtake the Buffalo Bills – it's going to have to be this year where all the teams are going to be bunched together and maybe 10 wins will be enough because you're going to have three 10-win teams. And I'm sorry, but New England's going to have to take the brunt of it, <laughs> I guess, in that scenario. So they're going to have to be bad. So, yeah, have that home game against Cincinnati in the playoffs, and that'll equalize things a little bit. I kind of like those two teams as far as teams that are like clearly better than Miami. I think it's a coin flip against Buffalo. It's time. It's time to put some expectations on those games. Uh, you know, I think I think we're beyond splitting. Uh, I think we're at the point where maybe we can steal a game in Buffalo. Maybe it's time to do something like that. So, yeah. I think, um, Ron, I would say that if the Dolphins could get multiple home games in the playoffs, I think look out. I, I wouldn't fancy us necessarily having to go on the road against predominantly cold weather teams you know you don't want to have to go to baltimore you don't want to have to they're a good team they're a team we haven't talked about baltimore a good team um you don't want to have to go to cincinnati you don't want to go to baltimore you don't want to have to go to new york you don't want to go to kansas city you know those are places on the road you do not want to go to but you know I, i would fancy us even against the chiefs at home in miami in the playoffs you know but i i i would i you know snowy night in in buffalo you know the chances are against you regardless of how well we played um both in the playoffs and on that that night game in the snow ultimately we ended up losing both games and that's the that's the caveat yeah absolutely i completely agree and uh the good thing about about baltimore is that they got their own problems meaning they got to overcome the bengals and they haven't so far since well joe burrow has been there so you know, but they're loaded. Like that roster is, whew, that's a good roster. So, you know, that's like who has really a free pass in the AFC? Nobody. I think it's just the Chiefs. 
Like, the Chiefs got to worry about the Chargers. You know, and the Chargers always play them tough. But, you know, I don't know. Are no, they, the, Jags, the Jags might have a free pass. Yeah, you division. know what? That's a good – that's Because yep. yeah, I just don't right know there. where the Titans are going to be in – Oh, they're going to be know, bad. Houston. They're going to be bad. Yeah, and the Titans are going to be bad. Houston's going to be bad. And Houston's going to be a problem. They're not going to be a pushover. I believe we play them. Uh, Houston's not going to be a free square. Okay? Houston will be a competent football team this year. But, no. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, The Jaguars got the free pass. So, you can see something like Kansas City, the one seed. Jaguars, the two seed. And Miami's the three seed as the division champion. And that's, that might be the best case scenario because, yeah, who the hell's going to beat the Jaguars in that division? So, yeah, they got the free pass. All right. Uh, I think this is going to have to be the last question. I brought up uh, I miss the old Kanye. Great name. You have a question. Uh, yeah. Hey, guys. So I'm late to the party. I don't know if this was already addressed, but I wanted to actually ask about uh, Jeff Wilson Jr. Um, during the whole Delvin Cook speculation and whatnot i always saw you know speculation was that jeff wilson jr would potentially be the odd man out um i'm just curious i I, to me i don't understand that narrative i see a guy who last year in san francisco when he was sort of their 1a to their 1b you know eight games nearly 500 yards 5.1 average he came to miami um again came into a scheme where he was getting about 10 carries a game and i think he put up pretty respectable numbers i really like what i saw in, in the game against cleveland you know, the game against the Jets, the Bears game was pretty promising, too. Um, you know, he's 26 years old. Um, do you guys see Wilson Jr. as a guy who can maybe take the reins in this running back by committee if we don't, you know, go towards Dalvin? Or is it going to be Raheem? I mean, potentially, I, I just I, I think Wilson has a higher ceiling, but I'm curious what you guys think. Thanks. Yeah, I don't think there was a single scenario where Jeff Wilson would have been the old man out. He is beloved of... Mike McDaniel in terms of his work ethic. He is loved in the locker room. You know, he came in very quickly and became a leader. He is a hard worker. He is a good player. Um, I never understood the narrative towards the back end of the season about and and in the off season about oh Wilson, he's this, he's that. He's a good player. He moves the pile. He was consistently a good player with the 49ers. He was consistently a good player in college. You know, go back and look at his college numbers. You know, in terms of what he did, four and a half yards of carry as a true freshman, 5.4, 5.5, 6.5, into the NFL, the same. You know, he's a guy that has consistently moved the chains for the 49ers. Um, and, uh, and Miami are not looking historically. You know, you go back and look at Mike Shanahan, you go back and look at every route that goes through Gary Kubiak and Mike McDaniel. Historically, there is not a. Not really, you know, you, you, you look at obviously Terrell Davis and you look this year with Christian McCaffrey, but generally, historically, it has been a, for want of a better term, running back by committee. It's been a, a series of guys keeping guys fresh, getting essentially getting good players to get the ball in situations and scenarios that suit their ability. Most at starts because he's got electric ability, um, you know, the ability to turn a five yarder into a 55 yarder. Wilson can, can, you know, Wilson is 5'11". He's 210 pounds. He runs like he's 225 pounds. He's big. He's thick below the, the, the waist. He's a guy that in the second half, especially in the heat at home, will just wear defenses out. You know, you look at the game he had in his first game against the Bears. You know, he is a guy that will um, continue to move the chains. He's good out of the backfield. He's excellent in pass protection. Um, I just never saw a scenario where, 
where Jeff Wilson was ever in threat, there was zero chance that Mike McDaniel would lose one of his key lieutenants. And that's absolutely what Wilson is. He's a very, very useful member of the team and a guy that if most of it was to go down, I would absolutely have no qualms whatsoever about Jeff Wilson leading the... Um, yeah, he's not dynamic. He's not got electric speed. He's just a solid solid football player and you know you take your stars like your, your hollands and your howards and your ramses and your armsteads and your hills and your waddles right but you need you know beneath that you know you need the foundations to be laid with good solid hard-working football players and that is what jeff wilson is he's the epitome of that yeah i tend to agree i think uh even if they added dalvin cook they were going to somehow figure it out uh raheem mostert uh, he was kind of durable last year, but against the Jets, broke his hand, and you didn't have him for the playoffs. Now, uh, the running game wasn't very good in the playoffs, but I think that was more on Skylar Thompson and the disrespect that the Buffalo Bills showed the Miami Dolphin offense in that game. So I would tend to throw that one out. Uh, all right, we're going to have to call it here, but tomorrow, okay, if you – if you're a member of Oling Fans, at night, at 8 o'clock, we will be playing, and I will have it on one of these stages. You'll be able to watch the game. I will have Ravens-Dolphins from last year. I'll have my Telestrator out, okay? Uh, we'll Is watch that a the- euphemism? Uh, no, it's it's really not. It's it's an actual Telestrator. It's like a, I get to draw on the screen, so it's going to be kind of cool. You know, I, we get to watch a play, and then I'll, I'll dissect the play for everybody. Uh, you can ask any questions. You could come up to the stage. You could talk. We could talk over the game as the game is going on. Uh, trust me, it's not going to be the, the the entire three hour version of the game. It's going to be the condensed version, so it's less than an hour. That should be a lot of fun. You guys voted for that game. That's the game that you wanted to watch tomorrow. We will be doing that once a week on this channel. So next week, we just got to figure out another game to watch. Maybe a. Uh, Maybe a, a historic game. You know, you guys didn't vote for it, but maybe a historic game. Maybe we'll, you know, because I asked if everybody. If I could throw it out there, uh-huh. why not just let's let's rip off the Band-Aid and see, because I'm very curious, and I'd love to see it from your point of view, what the hell happened in that Chargers game? I mean, we Simon alluded to it some, but I would love to. I mean, I know it's ugly, and we want to look away, but we play the Chargers week one. I'd really love to see that broken down before at least the season starts. That's probably a good idea. We might do that next week. In fact, I'll put up uh, some losses for people to vote on. I kind of wanted to see that Bills game, uh, not the one in the playoffs, the one on that Saturday night. Uh, I thought the team played very well, but there were opportunities lost. But, yeah, I think that that would be a great, great game to watch, that Charger game, because – you're gonna see some some maddening stuff on that game in that game, some drops, some bad routes, some bad reads by our quarterback, some bad play calls by our head coach. All right, that's it, uh, fans of basketball. You could catch uh, we're everywhere, okay? Like our tentacles reach across all barriers. Chris Kaufman right now is doing an NBA draft show with Ethan Skolnick and the crew of Five on the Floor, so you could catch him on YouTube. I put the link in the 3YPC channel. All right, that's it. Uh, we'll do as many of these as we can leading up to camp. And then during camp, I'll do one daily. How do you like that? All right, that's it, guys. Enjoy your night. Layers.
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.